But it is a pleasure to have Trevor along. So would you welcome him as he comes to bring the word this morning? And before we let you loose, I'm not going to ask you any difficult questions, don't worry. <laughs> I'd just like to pray for you, is that okay? Great. Can we pray for Trevor? Lord, we thank you for this time that we share with one another, that we share with you. And we thank you for Trevor. We thank you, Lord, for the word that you've put upon his heart. We pray right now, Lord, that you would just pour out your grace and your mercy upon him. Pray for refreshment. I pray for joy, the joy of knowing you, the joy of his salvation. And may this word that you have given him come forth with both the boldness, but the touch of your grace and your love and your kindness. Just pray now for the touch of your spirit. Just let it come upon him. I pray for healing for his back in the name of the Lord Jesus and anything else that he needs. Thank you that you are a good father whose joy and delight is to give us good gifts, every good gift. So we pray your blessing upon him. And Lord, give us this morning receptive hearts, listening ears to hear what your spirit is saying to us. We pray in your wonderful name. For your glory, Lord Jesus, let your kingdom come. And you will be done in this place, in our hearts this morning. We pray in your name. Amen. Thank you so much. Thank you, Andrew. It is good to be back, in spite of my cheeky comment about being a regular here. <laughs> um, the reason I, I said that is that the ministry that I'm involved with is called Father Heart Ministries. And my role within that ministry takes me to numerous churches and <clears throat> countries around the world and to get to return to the same church twice in one year is wonderful. Um, my home church in England, where we're based now, is, is a vineyard church. And uh, I think I've been there once this year <laughs> on the Sunday. But, you know, it's lovely to be back with friends on, on an occasion like that. I, I'm so passionate that this revelation that Father's given us about his love for us really works its way through into the, our life of our churches because... Jesus loves his church, and I want to love the things Jesus loves. And so it's great to be back with you. And thank you for the, the opportunity of just being here today. We had a good day yesterday. We had a good soaking in every sense of the word. My gosh, I didn't know it rained that much in, in Canberra. Um, <clears throat> not at all like English rain. We would have had that amount of rain spread over about six months <laughs> every day, just a little bit. But... Um, yeah, and it's, it's good to be here. It's good to just sense what Father's doing amongst you and to see a few familiar faces now. Um, often when I go back to a church where I've known people for a while, I, I, I have to be careful not to say it's nice to see old faces because people think, and your point is? <laughs> but it, it's good to be here. Um, yesterday we just spent some time, those of you who were here, just thinking again how much God as a father really wants to pour his love into our hearts and how grateful we are that Jesus came to show us exactly what the father was like. You know, one of the things that we're discovering in these days is that God is reminding us <clears throat> of things that we'd forgotten. He's reminding us of truth that's always been true, that we just hadn't seen it in the way that he wants us to see it. And the Bible describes that as revelation. Revelation is an uncovering of truth that's always been true, that we just hadn't seen before. 
And for many of us in these days, we're rediscovering this wonderful truth that God has always been a father to us and that he reveals that to us in Jesus. I, I was telling the folks yesterday that it was about 10 years ago that I first ever went to something remotely like a, a father heart event. I remember thinking at the time, what sort of word is that? That's not even English. <laughs> you know, it's a made-up word. Uh, and it was the beginning of a journey that, that I'm still on of rediscovering. And um, the, the great journey for me is not only to discover that God is my real father and has always been my father, but his son, Jesus, has become so much more real to me. In that process, I've discovered who Jesus really is and how his desire was to reveal Father to us. And so this morning, I, I want to talk about Jesus. You know, you might think, oh, I thought you were a Father Heart man. <laughs> well, yes. But you can't talk about Father without talking about Jesus. It's like you can't talk about the Holy Spirit without talking about the Father and the Son. You know, we, we forget sometimes that God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And the three in one are continually coming to us and revealing more of themselves to us. And so this morning, I, I just wanted to talk a bit more about Jesus. I, I loved the focus in, in the songs that we were singing of how he went to the cross for us. Um, <clears throat> when you look at the scriptures and see what Jesus did in his life. Um, for years, I, I thought it was all about the cross. And, and I missed the point that first he showed us who Father was so that we could see more clearly what was really happening on the cross. And, and the passage that often comes back to mind, and it's one I want to talk a little bit about this morning, is from Paul's letter to the Philippians. I just want to read it to you, <clears throat> and then we'll kind of talk a bit about it. Um, this is Paul to Philippians chapter 2. He said, If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded and having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Your attitude should be the same as of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. I mean, Paul, when he was writing that, my goodness, he was on a roll, wasn't he? You can, you can just sense in those words, they must have come pouring out of his pen as he's getting incredible revelation about the nature of Jesus. I mean, Paul... 
Paul didn't believe that Jesus was the Son of God in his early days. I don't know whether Paul had ever seen Jesus. He lived in Jerusalem. He was a Pharisee there at the time that Jesus was teaching and ministering. But the first time we meet him, as it were, in in the Acts of the Apostles, he's there with others stoning one of the early Christians to death. And, And from that moment, Paul is so incensed about what he's hearing about these Christians that he does whatever he can to persecute them. You know, he, he, had, he knew that Jesus had died. I, I suspect he might have seen it, because of all the New Testament writers, he talks about the cross more than anyone else. I mean, some of the other writers early on in Acts, you know, the, the apostles, they're talking about Jesus raised from the dead, but Paul talks about the cross, and here we get it in Philippians. He humbled himself even to death on the cross. I suspect that Paul may have seen the crucifixion because he writes a lot about the cross. He talks about being nailed to the cross. So there's, there's in his writing, there's a sense of this man really died. You know, Paul knew that as Saul the Pharisee. But he was had this amazing encounter with the one who had died. <laughs> On the road to Damascus, you know, the bright light, you remember, surrounded him and he fell on the ground. And a voice speaking to him in Aramaic, the language that Jesus spoke, said, Hey, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? (laughs) He said, Who are you, Lord? (laughs) So that was a huge moment of revelation for Paul. Because the man that he believed was dead is now talking to him. And when he lists a number of resurrection appearances in in 1 Corinthians, he says, and finally he appeared to me. You see, Paul had a revelation of the risen Christ, and that changed everything for him. Paul had many revelations. In Galatians, he says at one point that no one taught him these things. The things that he's writing about, no one taught me. He said, I received it by direct revelation from Jesus. So the Apostle Paul sees things that many others had not seen at that point. <clears throat> he gets a revelation of truth that is, is life-changing for him. And it comes pouring out of his pen when he writes to these new Christian churches. And so here in Philippians, part of this revelation is being poured out. He said, if there's any encouragement from being in Christ, this is it. See, Paul used that term a lot about being in Christ. You know, I don't know how you would define what a Christian is. I mean, sometimes people come up with all sorts of strange definitions of Christians, don't they? You know, do do you find sometimes people say to you, well, I'm not a Christian, and then they carry on talking. It's always good to ask them, well, what, what sort of Christian aren't you? Get them to tell you what sort of Christian they're not. And you'll probably discover you're not one of those either. Because people's view of being a Christian is very diverse. What is a Christian? Well, Paul tries to make it as simple as he possibly can. And he puts it into two words. What's a Christian? We're in Christ. We're in him. So he says, if there's any encouragement in Christ, it's this. And he goes to say, it's living and walking in the way that Jesus walked. See, Jesus' whole life 
was devoted to doing what the Father was doing, to saying the things that Father was saying. That's how Jesus walked. John, one of the other apostles, in his first letter, in John chapter 1, verse 2, uh, John, 1 John chapter 2, let's get this right, I need my glasses on, um, he's using the same expression. See, this is how we know we are in him, Jesus. This is how we know we're in Christ. This is how we know we're Christians, in the sense that the New Testament talks about it. We walk as Jesus walked. See, Jesus walked continually in fellowship with his Father, hearing what Father was saying, seeing Father do things and doing exactly the same things. And so here in, in, in Philippians chapter 2, Paul describes this is, this is how Jesus lived. This is how he walked. He said, who being in the very nature God, and he's saying he was eternally the Son of God, but he didn't want to hang on to that. He didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped. It's not like he's hanging on to his status as the eternal son of God. He's willing to come and step into our world taking the form of a servant. Emptying himself of his, of his, all his authority that he could have had, all the position that was his as the eternal son of God. And laying that aside and stepping into our world as fully human, as well as being fully divine, and living in our world as a servant. He said, he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant. And being made in human appearance, human likeness, being found in appearance of a man, he humbled himself. See, Jesus, who is the eternal Son of God, laid all that aside in order to step into our world, to walk in our world, in our experience of life, experiencing the same sort of struggles each day as we experience, humbling himself, living as a son to his father, but with the heart of a servant. You know, one of the great revelations that God is sharing and pouring out into our hearts these days, that he is our father, means that we are sons and daughters. And it's so releasing to know that who we really are. We're sons and daughters to Almighty God in exactly the same way as Jesus is. But also we're servants. It's not that our identity is servants. Our identity is sons. But we get to step into the reality of living as sons who love to serve alongside our brother Jesus and walk as Jesus walked. So it's, it's a very different view of being a servant you know God created us to be sons and daughters he didn't create us to have the identity of anything other than sons and daughters he created angels to be servants he did not create angels to be sons and daughters they were created to serve we were created to be sons but as sons in that intimate relationship with Father, we get to do what Jesus did. We get to walk as Jesus walked. In relationship with Father, doing the things that Father is doing. You know, Jesus walked knowing that he was a son. It, it, it's significant that at 12 years of age, 
when he's left behind in Jerusalem at the temple, when his family finally find him there in the temple after having been missing for about five days, what is it he says? You know, the, it's very interesting that the 12-year-old human boy speaks first. When Joseph and Mary say to him, son, why have you treated us like this? You know, Jesus' answer is, oh, you know, were you looking for me? <laughs> That's a typical 12-year-old human response, isn't it? Jesus, you've been missing for five days. But the next thing he says shows that he knows exactly who he really is. Because didn't you realize I had to be in my father's house? I mean, nobody ever called God Father in those days. The Jewish people were terrified of calling God by his name, Yahweh. They couldn't do that. They would call him the Lord, Adonai. No one called God Father. And here's this 12-year-old boy who's in the house of Almighty God, Yahweh. He says, oh, this is my father's house. I mean, just who do you think you are, Jesus? <laughs> he knows exactly who he is. He knows that God's his father, and he is the eternal son of God. He knows that at the age of 12. But we don't hear anything else for 18 years. Jesus goes back home to Nazareth and is content to be known as the carpenter's son. He's known as the carpenter from Nazareth, Jesus of Nazareth. He worked as a carpenter. He does no miracles for the next 18 years, nothing. No teaching, just puts up shelves for old ladies, mends a few broken chairs, makes plows and carpenter things. And then the day comes when he senses in his heart that now is the time that he has to step into his destiny. And he goes ending up down to the River Jordan where his cousin John is baptizing people. And Jesus goes there and gets baptized too. Much to everyone's amazement, incredible things happen in that moment. The Spirit comes on him like a dove. But more to the point, God the Father speaks about him. And what does he say? He says, you are my son. And you hear the emphasis I put in that? You might read that, and I've read it for years. You are my son, I love you. But I think Father said, you are my son. Everything you've believed for these 30 years is true, Jesus. What you've believed and held on to into your heart about who you really are is right. You are my son, and I love you, and I'm proud of you. I think that's wonderful that the Father says, I'm proud of you, son. Don't we love to hear it when maybe our mum and dad says, I'm proud of you? Often, and I've done this with my kids, I link that to something they've done. You know, I'm proud of you because you passed your driving test or you've got your degree. My daughter up in, in Queensland, she's on the brink of getting her doctorate. I'm so proud of her that she's going to be doctor driver. Oh, my little girl. But, you know, the father says to Jesus, I'm proud of you because you're you. Jesus hasn't done anything at this point. He's not raised anyone from the dead. He's not preached a sermon. He's just lived at home as a son to Mary and Joseph, who's not in the picture anymore. Maybe, he, maybe Mary's a widow by this time. But Jesus has lived 
for 30 years, content to be just a son to his mum and dad, serving in the home. He, he knows, though, who he really is. A- and as the ministry then begins from that moment, he increasingly wants to do the things that Father's telling him to do. At one point in John chapter 4, he says, my food is to do the works my father is doing. Father is working, and I am working too. You know, one of the things that sometimes I've noticed when we discover who we really are as sons and daughters, we're so relieved that we don't have to do anything anymore, that we can go into kind of total laid-back mode. But, you know, Jesus is saying, my food is to do the works that my father's doing. The difference is Jesus then works not because his identity is tied up in his work, his identity is a son. He works because he loves to do what father's doing. It's joy that now drives him, if you like. You know, sonship brings us into this glorious freedom of the sons of God to do the works that father's doing. So Jesus says, what Father's doing, I'm doing. The Father works and I work. He does it in obedience. He does it in love. He's secure in who he is. He's not doing it to get his identity out of it. He's not doing it to perform. All of that is is not there in Jesus. He does it simply because he knows who he is. And he loves to do the things that Father's doing. And what does he do? Philippians Two says it, he empties himself, taking the form of a servant. Do you remember that moment in the Last Supper? You know, we've had bread and wine this morning that, that reminds us of that amazing evening that the, Jesus spent with his disciples. We call it the Last Supper. They, they didn't know it was the Last Supper. They were just going to celebrate the Passover. It was a special meal. But what happened at the beginning of the evening? John tells us in his gospel, in in chapter 13 of John's gospel, he describes how that night, it says, um, just before the Passover feast, Jesus knew that the time had come for him to leave this world and go back to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he now showed them the full extent of his love. Can you imagine what that must have been like? Jesus showed his followers, his disciples, the full extent of his love. Well, that evening is going to be an expression of that. And it begins with this. The evening meal was being served. The devil had already prompted Judas Iscariot to betray Jesus. And Jesus knew (coughs) that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. It's a restatement of Jesus knew exactly who he was. It's the restatement of the fact that he is the eternal son of God. He knew that. He knew God was his father. He knew why he'd come into this world. He had come to do the will of him who sent him. And he knew that he was going home to his father. And in that moment, he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, wrapped a towel around his waist, And after he'd poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with a towel that was wrapped around him. Paul in Philippians 2 said he took the form of a servant. He humbled himself. 
And here, in this upper room, you see a demonstration of the utter incredible humility of Jesus, the eternal Son of God, who's willing to strip down to his underpants, put a towel round his waist, and wash his disciples' feet. You know, that task was usually assigned to one of the lowliest servants or slaves in the household. Washing of people's feet was what you normally did when you came in for a meal. <coughs> That's because everyone used to lay down at the table. And so feet were pretty obvious, you know. If you've been in a dusty street, to have your feet washed before a nice meal was very good. And that's exactly what Jesus is doing. But it wasn't the butler or the head servant that would do it. It would be the humblest one. It would be the lowliest one. So Jesus, taking the form of a servant, humbled himself. <clears throat> you see, living as sons and daughters to Almighty God frees us from all the striving and identity-seeking of trying to do things for God and frees us to enable us to do things exactly the Father is doing for no other reason than it gives joy to Father's heart. See, sons love to work with their fathers. Daughters love to work with their fathers. That's the nature of sonship. It doesn't mean to say we all sit back and put our feet up. We do do that, absolutely, because Father created us for rest. But we get the joy and the privilege of sharing in what Father's doing. So Jesus does these things. And he says to his disciples, you know, there are even greater works prepared for you than I've been doing. I can't imagine what that could be. But as sons and daughters, we get to participate in this glorious freedom of serving with our Father in the works that Father is doing in our world. You know, Paul says in his letters that there are works prepared in advance for us to do. And so here in Philippians, he's, he's referencing this. Paul understood this. He had, he had a revelation of what it was to know God as Father. He knew what it was to live as sons and daughters. In, in Galatians, he says, you're all sons of God through the faith of Christ Jesus. You've been baptized into Christ. You're clothed in Christ. It's very interesting that he uses those two words to describe us as sons. We are baptized into Christ. We're clothed in Christ. So we get to be and do the things that Jesus did in the same way that Jesus did them. You know, I, I, my background <clears throat> is a, I was trained as a Baptist pastor in the UK at a college called Spurgeon's College, which was a big Baptist college. And I, I thought I knew everything about baptism. Right? You're a Baptist pastor. I've baptized hundreds of people over the years. I've taught on baptism dozens, well, maybe hundreds of times. Baptism, yeah, get that. It's about being buried with Christ, raised with Christ. It's like washing, all these sort of things. But Paul says about us as sons and daughters, we've been baptized with Christ. We're in him. How, how does that work? What, why is baptism about living as sons and daughters? One day I suddenly realized what happened when Jesus got baptized. When Jesus was baptized, and we've talked about it a bit this morning, what happened was the father spoke. And the father said, you are my son. 
He affirmed him. What you've believed about yourself is true. He confirmed him. He said, I really love you. And I'm proud of you. And suddenly I thought, this is what sonship's about. We're in Christ. We get to receive all the blessings that Jesus receives. So when we get baptized, it's like Father says to you and me, oh, by the way, you're my son. You're my daughter. And I love you. And I'm proud of you. You know, when I saw that, I said, oh, Father, if I ever get to baptize anyone ever again, whenever they, when they come up out of the water, I want to say to them, and Father says to you, you're my beloved son. You're my beloved daughter, and I'm proud of you. Well, I have. <laughs> I did get to baptize some people not so long ago. You know, it's so wonderful to speak truth over us about our true identity, who we are in Christ. We're beloved sons and daughters as much as Jesus is. You know, when we're broken-hearted orphans, we can't believe that. We think, well, of course God loves Jesus because he's the son of God, but he doesn't really love me. But that's the old orphan-like way of thinking. Jesus comes and says, you are with me. You're in Christ. So Jesus, the beloved son, we're in him. We get to do the works that Jesus does. We get to share in the life of Jesus. We get to serve in the way that Jesus serves, emptying ourselves from our orphan, broken-hearted, performance-driven way of living in the past. And we get to live in the glorious freedom of the sons of God, doing the works that Father's prepared for us in advance to do. See, Jesus' attitude wasn't grasping after position, though if anyone could have done, he could have done. But he laid it down. He wasn't wanting to restate his equality with God. No, he laid all that down taking the very form of a servant. The heart of a servant, <clears throat> when we don't know who we are, is tragic. It's driven by fear, ambition, desire to be noticed. It's orphan-hearted. But the heart of a son brings security to us, and we can serve him as sons and daughters. We become not just servants, but sons who are heirs. You know, when Paul talks in Galatians and Romans about our inheritance as sons and daughters, he says we're heirs. Now, we may be an heir to property one day, but we have to wait for that person to die before we get it. In New Testament days, it wasn't like that. <clears throat> At some point, if you had a big estate or something, you would appoint your heirs while you were still alive. And what would those heirs do? They would come and work alongside you. So the father who owned a big Roman estate or Greek estate somewhere would have his son walking alongside him and together they would do the work of the estate. See, that's what sonship's about. We get to walk as Jesus walked doing the things that Jesus did. <clears throat> See, Jesus only did what Father asked him to do. See, this, this is the criteria. Because when you're confident when, in who you are in Christ, you get to do the same things. We only do the things that Father asks us to do. I remember when I 
didn't have any understanding of being a son, I would do things because I hoped it would, I would get some credit, as it were, with God or with people. You know, that's, that, that's a, a wrong motive for serving. And thankfully, God is freeing us from these things in order to serve in the way that Jesus served. So Jesus only did the things that his father told him to do. You know, Jesus didn't heal everybody. He only healed those that father told him to heal. You know, but there is a feeling sometimes that we have to do everything. But when we're doing that from a place of a wounded heart, it's coming from the wrong place. Jesus, however, only did what father said. You see, on one occasion, well, more than one occasion, many times he walked into the temple in Jerusalem. We read about it. But in the Acts of the Apostles, chapter 3, we read that there was a man who had sat at the gate of the temple for 30-odd years begging, who, and he was a crippled man. Jesus would have walked past him dozens of times and didn't heal him. I would imagine the heart of Jesus as he walked past this man was to say, Father, can I heal him today, please? And Father saying, no, no, not today. I've got someone else lined up for that. And Jesus, because he only does what Father's doing, could confidently walk past. He's not failing. He's just listening. But of course, we read in Acts chapter 3, after the resurrection, Jesus has gone back to heaven and given the boys their commission to walk as Jesus walked. We've got Peter and John walking into the temple. The John who wrote in his first letter, we're learning to walk as Jesus walked. I can imagine Peter and John walking into the temple and there's the guy with his begging bowl. Have you got any money? And Peter going, I haven't got any money. John, have you got any cash? Can you give him some cash, John? I haven't got any cash either. What are we going to do? And it's almost as if Father might have just tapped them on the shoulder and said, hey, boys, what have you got? Oh, oh yeah. Okay, I, I'm sorry. I haven't got any money. But what I have, I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. Because as sons, they're learning to do what Jesus did. Hearing what Father says. Doing the works that Father's doing. And a glorious miracle takes place. The guy gets healed. He does cartwheels into the temple. Crowds of people witness this. And hundreds more get saved. <coughs> because they're doing the works prepared in advance for them to do. See, sonship is this glorious life of walking as Jesus walked. Doing the things that Jesus did. Not doing our own thing. Not trying to get our status sorted out or our, our performance right. No, it's just doing what Father's got prepared in advance for us to do. Because this is how Jesus lived. He took the form of a servant, emptied himself, became a servant in human likeness, humbled himself, became obedient to death, even Death on a cross. You know, <clears throat> the life of sonship also means participation in not only the life of Jesus, but the death of Jesus. There's not much talk these days of the spirit of the martyrs, but it was the blood of the martyrs that was the seed of the church. And those who walk as Jesus walked may have to face that one day. 
You know, there's great joy in serving the Lord and being sons and daughters. But as Jesus discovered, it's a walk that leads to death and even death on the cross. And then it says God highly exalted him. You know, we're living in a day when we want a lot, we want the glory, we want the fun, we want the excitement. But the life of sonship is also a life of being willing to lay down our lives for the sake of the kingdom, just as Jesus did. <coughs> it's our participation in his suffering. We have talked this morning about this table. It is a participation in not only the life of Christ, but the death of Christ, that the glory of God might be revealed. So sons who have the heart, not only of a son, but a son who serves, get to embrace all that Jesus has. His life, his death, and his glorious resurrection. This is the life of sonship. Amen. Thank you, Father, that we're learning to walk as Jesus walked. Confident in who we are in him. Confident that we are your beloved sons and daughters and that you love us and that you are proud of us, not because of anything we do or because of things we've done, but who you are, that we are in your Son, Jesus. Thank you, Father. And thank you that you have works prepared in advance for us to do. We bless you, Father, for this glorious freedom that is ours to participate in the life of Jesus and see his glory revealed in our earth. Thank you, Father. Amen. Why don't we just stand as we conclude our time together? We have, of course, the big coffee break today. Love for you to uh, hang around and spend some time with one another. If you'd like prayer this morning, there is a prayer team here, or a few of us at least, who will be happy to stand with you about anything could be related to uh, what Trevor's focused on this morning, what it means to be sons and daughters, or it could be anything else at all. If you need prayer this morning, then please feel free to come forward and it would be our joy to stand with you in prayer. But let me just conclude our time together in prayer. Father, thank you for these words that we've had heard proclaimed this morning. Thank you for your word, your scripture. Thank you for the reality that we can know, just not just in our heads, but in our hearts, as Galatians 4 says, because we are sons, you've sent forth the Spirit, of your Son, that we might cry out, Abba, Father. Thank you for that experiential reality that we are yours, that you love us, and that you've called us to live as your own. Lord, may we 
not only know that in our heads, but may it resonate in our hearts. May it change the way that we think and we feel and we respond and we react. We do want to be true sons and daughters who are about your business. We live to see your kingdom come and your will be done. So Lord, we just uh, ask that as we go forth in this week, that you'd continue to show us, grow us, teach us, what that means, what that looks like for us as we seek after you. We pray these things, Lord, in your name. Amen. Before Trevor sits down, I would love to get him to do one more thing. Um, I think this is an important message, but not only a message to hear. It talks in Galatians chapter 4, verse 6, which in the earlier service was the passage the Lord brought to my attention and my mind it talks about because we are sons and daughters because we are God has sent forth the spirit of his son that or by which or through which we cry out Abba Father and we're no longer slaves but we're heirs as Trevor's been talking about and you know that that speaks to me not just of an enlightened mind, although it certainly is is part of you know we, we want to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. We come for transformation, not information, and yet it's it's talking about something deeper than just a knowledge. It's talking about an experiential reality, not just an enlightened mind, but an awakened heart. And I had this sense, you know, you're very welcome to come forward for prayer. Of course, we have a prayer team. But just for whoever would receive it, I I haven't asked Trevor this, but I wanted to ask whether he could pray over whoever would receive it, a Father's blessing. And it may be that you have never received or heard for yourself those words that Jesus himself heard. And I believe, as Trevor has said, had to hear. This is my beloved son. This is my beloved daughter. It may be that you've heard these words before, but you can never hear or have enough enough affirmation for, from your loving Heavenly Father. So if you would receive this this morning, I'd encourage you just to close your eyes. We're getting Trevor to, pl- to pray for us, but it's not just about him. This is about really releasing a blessing from your Heavenly Father. You might like to put a hand on your heart. You might like to... Open your hands, however it is that you would receive this blessing that we'll finish with this morning, a Father's blessing. Would you be happy to do that? Okay. So as a father, myself, as a grandfather, I can give you a Father's blessing. But I'm also a son to my Heavenly Father. And I want to give you his blessing as your heavenly father. So just as you're standing there, as your hands are in your heart, Father, thank you for all your sons and daughters in this room. Father, I bless what you're doing in your sons and daughters. I bless what you're doing in their hearts right now. And as a father, I give to you a blessing. The father says to you, you are my son. You 
are my daughter. And Father says to you, I love you. I love you as much as I love my son Jesus. I love you not because you've done anything good. I love you because I love you. Because I love you. You have to do nothing to receive my love. And Father says to you, I'm so proud of you. I am so proud of you. And as a father, I call out of you your true identity. I, I pray that you will step into your true identity as sons and daughters of Almighty God. That is who you are. I call out your true masculinity and your true femininity as sons and daughters. I bless the masculinity and femininity in your hearts. As a father blesses his children, so the father blesses you. Receive him. Receive his love. Receive his affirmation. Maybe you never heard your dad say, I'm proud of you, but your heavenly father is so proud of you. Perhaps in your own words, in your own language, if it's not English, maybe you can just say back to him, thank you, Father. Thank you, Papa. You can call him Abba too because he's your real father so maybe you just want to articulate that thank you father that's who I am thank you papa you're loving me right now just encourage you there's no need to move until you're ready. This is just about you receiving. His Spirit poured out without measure, through which, by which, we cry out. Just receive that this morning. There's no need to rush away. Just allow the Lord, your Father, to do what He needs to do in your heart, in our hearts this morning. Lord, we thank you for what you're doing. We bless what you're doing. Let it increase until, Lord, we truly know what it is to be loved by you, to be your sons and daughters. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.